Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It offers flexible spending capacity that adapts to your business. You can also earn up to $395 in annual statement credits on eligible purchases at select business merchants. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. I'll be one of my friends. I'm just trying to make you a little money. My job, not just entertain, but to teach. So call me at 1-800-743-CBC. Tweet me at Jim Kramer. Maybe it won't be a cakewalk for the bulls after all. Today we got a number that didn't fit. A consumer price index reading that was actually a little too hot. If you're a bull here, you're betting on a soft landing, and that means you need two things to go right. First, we can't have hotter-than-expected inflation numbers that make the Fed more hawkish. And second, we can't have subpar corporate earnings. You got to have good earnings. You can't have subpar earnings. Today, we got the former, which is why the averages tumbled this morning, even as they rebounded toward the close. Now, we'll be finishing up just 15 points. as we dip 0.07%. NASDAQ ending flat on the day. Still, December's consumer price index was indeed worse than November's which certainly doesn't help the argument that we desperately need the Fed to give us rate cuts. At the very least, I don't see how they can cut rates in March, which is somehow still the consensus expectation. But the economy is way too strong for that. Remember, the Uber bulls, and I don't mean bulls that take Uber. I mean the bulls who think the Fed's going to cut rates six times this year. They need to be... They need to be let down easy. Uh, when they see a number, like a 3.4% inflation number, they get it very skittish because it means their whole thesis could collapse, which is what I thought at one time when the Dow was down big. Now, we didn't have any earnings to speak of today, but tomorrow we're getting report cards from the major banks. And if they aren't special, if they don't wow us, I think we'll be 0 for 2. And that could crack the exterior of what's been a pretty darn good year so far. Oh, and also tomorrow, Mad Money's going to be in the end zone of bank earnings and of the playoffs. We'll be at the GEHA Arrowhead Stadium in Kansas City for a pigskin-focused version of Mad Money. You will not want to miss this. We'll be out there for when Mahomes and defending Super Bowl champion Kansas City Chiefs host Tyree Kill and the Miami Dolphins Saturday at 8 p.m. Eastern time. Now, you, you can watch it on Peacock in what will be the NFL's first ever exclusively live stream playoff game. But back to today. Why am I so circumspect about this market? As I said last night, we've had such a good run since the year began. But it's been based on the same things over and over again. A decline in interest rates and positive pushes by research analysts. We still have plenty of positive notes out today, but they were almost entirely about the same old, same old. That narrow group of tech stocks we always focus on. We didn't get the boarding out that I like so much. The one that we've had since November, we had more stocks decline than increase today, and that's less healthy than the action we've seen typically uh, since the bottom in late October. Of course, the bulls won't roll over that easily. Too much momentum. Let me give you some examples of what, what worked higher, even as we all knew the story. First is Kramer fave, Salesforce. After Baird put out a note urging people to buy the stock, because CEO Mark Benioff is getting more and more focused on delivering better margins and higher profitability, the firm notes they didn't think that would be the case. Uh, my problem with this push, I've been saying the same thing over and over again, both here and to club members for months. 
But you know what? The stock rallied nearly 3% anyway. House of pleasure. We saw a couple of reports about how NVIDIA had a terrific CES, the old consumer electronics show. Again, I have been saying that all week, right? The whole week. So I wouldn't have expected it would move the stock higher. Uh, but NVIDIA spent some time in the red today. But then it burst right back into the green, which almost seems like it's its rightful place. With the stock finishing up nearly five bucks. We got a note about a survey of chief investment officers that shows they believe Microsoft's got a huge lead when it comes to the adoption of AI. Really? I mean, again, old news. Yet the stock went higher anyway. There were oddities, too. We know that that hot inflation number usually sends interest rates higher, but the hot CPI this morning did not cause the bond market to sell off. Yeah, bonds actually rallied. It, it, it did, however, send down the utility stocks, which normally trade like bond market alternatives. That's not supposed to happen. Hey, one of these is wrong. Uh, it's too early to tell which. The bank stocks acted like the utility stocks. It, yeah, that's right. They, they were saying that higher interest rates are coming. They all sold down. However, remember that J.P. Morgan, Citigroup, Wells Fargo, and Bank of America all report tomorrow. So we won't have to wait long to get a much better understanding of the situation. Of course, I'll be in Kansas City giving you that stuff as well as maybe a little color in the game. Now, I want to make it clear that stocks were a bit of a sideshow this time today. Yeah, today was the day when the SEC technically approved a Bitcoin exchange-traded product. Notice I didn't say the SEC approved an ETF, as you would have might, might have heard that otherwise. The difference is key. This is a trust, not a, a product. It's a trust that issues shares, then holds Bitcoin. Unlike ETFs, these trusts own a commodity, not a security. That means investors in these exchange, uh, non-exchange traded funds don't get the benefit of what's known as the Investment Company Act of 1940 or the 40 Act. And that protects shareholders from a conflict of interest by the issuers. That's not good. I think you want the most protection possible when you're investing in something like, uh, uh, like this. And you want it to be like an ETF. Not an ETP. Might not matter to you now, but it sure would if it turns out that the exchange traded product doesn't do what it's supposed to do with your money. I only care about this because so many people take that kind of protection for granted. After the disastrous experience crypto traders have with the products that were offered by convicted fraud, Sam Bankman free. Believe me, that extra protection would have been worth it. I wish you'd gotten it. Usually you see a sell-off after the launch of a new product that involves a commodity like the trust. They represent themselves as gold securities issuers. Gold did a run-up into the approval of these trusts years ago. Yes, they too don't have that 40-act protection. And then they fell down hard after the thing started trading. Didn't happen this time. Bitcoin still went higher, my view. I think Bitcoin has a place in a portfolio. I'm not against it. However, many of the other crypto coins are too wild west for me, and I'd be careful with them. Regulators cannot protect anyone from a coin that doesn't really seem to exist. And we've seen that happen way too many times. It's not what I like to see. I can't protect you either. I do think that the enthusiasm of Bitcoin is not something the Fed wants to see. The Fed is historically not like speculation and views it as inflationary. It can create too much borrowing in order to capture potential gains. And you definitely don't want a stock market led by exchange-traded products. That's it. Given this was day one after the approval and the market was tame and the stock of Coinbase, the repository of a lot of cryptocurrency, opened up big, then did a U-turn, a gigantic U-turn, and subsequent die, finishing down $10 or 6.7%. Well, I mean, I'd say things were calm. But at least some sort of sells in the news action happened with Coinbase. The bottom line, the bulls didn't get the cool inflation number they wanted. Consider that strike one of a two-strike game, not to mix football metaphors with baseball. Tomorrow's earnings bring another pitch. If we get another swing and a miss, I don't think the average will be able to rebound like they did this afternoon. Let's take calls. Let's go to Dave in Florida. Dave. 
Yeah, big booyah down from Jacksonville from a brand new club member. Listen, do you think it's possible that rapidly advancing AI developments might help drive Zscaler to profitability this year? Go Eagles. The answer is yes. I happen to think that Zscaler, by the way, is a very good company. And it's also been an up stock. I mean, this thing was at 84 in May. It's 228 now. And yet I think it's not done. Barbara in Connecticut. Barbara. Hi, Jim. Booyah. Booyah, Barbara. What's going on? Uh, nothing. I've watched your shows for years, first with my dad, Charlie, and now I've got my son, Charlie, watching it. So I'm dedicating my questions to the two Charlies in my life. Uh, my questions about the food and beverage industry yes, and consumer staples, specifically Tex, uh, Pepsi and Coca-Cola. Uh, Pepsi, I think, has gone from 196 down to 166 or something like that with a 15% drop or so. I mean, it's got a decent yield, but I just read that uh, Carrefour, a French company. Right. Well, I'll tell you, um, I'll say this to the two Charlies and you, PepsiCo's got Frito-Lay, and I think that that's going to be part of a GLP problem, but I think that Coca-Cola doesn't. I would prefer Coca-Cola to Pepsi right now. Greg in Kentucky, Greg. Hey, Jim, longtime Mad Money viewer. How are you doing? I am doing well. How about you? Not too bad. Question on a travel stock. Sure. Uh, let's see. CEO states uh, company results were strong across major metrics. Booking strength with higher than, antis- higher than expected pricing. Right. Should I uh, start a position in CCL with spring and summer months? No, no. If you want to own those, that- just own Royal Caribbean. Royal Caribbean's got the best balance sheet. Royal Caribbean is the way to play it. And there's just no two ways about it. That is the one you want to be in. George in Florida. George. Hey, Jimmy. It's George from uh, sunny Florida. Tell me, friend. Uh, Good to have you on the, the show. Uh, cash-rich giant and Bitcoin-rich giant uh, Block Inc. ticker SQ. All right. Now, look, this stock is what I call an up stock, even though it's not going to make not making a lot of money in the last 12 months. I think the square should be bought. I think the street's going to get behind square real soon. And sixty seven dollars is going to look like a real bargain. Oh, we're not done. We're taking even more calls. We're going to go to Bill in Massachusetts. Bill. Hello, Mr. Kramer. How are you today? I am doing well. How about you? Fantastic. I'm a club member. I'm having a great time doing my homework. Just enjoying it like you wouldn't believe. Thank I you. I trimmed up my positions in the Magnificent Seven, like you said, too, and I'm ready to get more. All uh, right. I was noticing Disney was down a little bit. What do you think about picking up a little more Disney? Okay, Disney has to improve Disney+, Plus, and they must talk about how the turn into ESPN and how much sports it matters. And I also think, by the way, that Nelson Peltz has to be in there getting things hotter. Hey, a hot inflation number today was strike one for the Bulls, and we don't want a swing and a miss tomorrow in the bag sport because I don't think the average will be able to hold up like they did today if we get that. On Man Money Tonight, the price of food roared today, so I'm going off the charts with the help of Carly Garner to see where oil could be headed over the next few months. Then, between that J.P. Morgan Healthcare Conference and CES, it's a big week for conferences, but there's one under-the-radar meeting, the ICR Conference, that gives us a sense of a host of consumer-facing industries. I'll give you my top five takeaways. And sometimes there's more to the story than just the stock price. I sat down for a second-part interview with the CEO of Beckton Dickinson. Here, a little bit more about his fascinating path to becoming a visionary in the healthcare space. You won't want to miss it. So stay with Rainbow.
Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Cramer on X. Have a question? Tweet Cramer. Hashtag Mad Mentions. Send Jim an email to madmoney at cnbc.com or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. Electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. When you're hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging to connect with candidates faster. Plus, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visible visibility at indeed.com slash mad money. Just go to indeed.com slash mad money right now and support this show by saying you heard about indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash mad money. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need indeed. After a hotter than expected consumer price index reading today, how worried do we need to be about persistent inflation? derailing the soft landing scenario that everybody's been banking on and betting on lately, or at least the bulls have. Let's take a look. Let's take a look at what's happening with the oil market as the price of crude rallied today in response to the continued tensions in the Red Sea. And energy can become a major component of inflation when it goes in the wrong direction. That's why tonight we're going off the charts with the help of Carly Garner. She's the terrific technician who's the co-founder of DeCarly Trading, author of Higher Probability Commodity Trading, and, of course, our resident commodities expert. In early November, she told us to stick with the S&P 500, and she nailed that. More importantly, back in September, she nailed the peak in oil. Did say it could go to the low 70s. So I think it's important that she now seems a lot more upbeat on crude than she did last time. Of course, because it went to the low 70s. Garner says there are plenty of reasons to be bullish on West Texas Intermediate Crude, yet most of them have been circulating for months or even years, and they haven't been able to produce a sustainable rally. In the end, technology favors more production and works against consumption. The world is much more energy efficient than it was 10 or 20 years ago. According to Garner, this is what makes it tough to own commodities. Even when you've got a bullish narrative, at most that gives you a floor, but it doesn't necessarily translate into big gains. Right now, the U.S. is producing as much oil as ever with fewer rigs in operation. The last time we pumped this much oil was back in 2019, a year that saw prices range from the mid-40s to the mid-60s per barrel. Despite similar domestic production, though, Garner thinks that this could translate to a price range of 70 to $100 a barrel, $100 for oil in 2024. Why? OPEC plus production cuts, strong export demand, and political obstacles to make it harder to transport oil to where it's needed. She points out that U.S. crude oil exports averaged 3.6 million barrels per day in 2022. That, by the way, is up 22% from the year before. 
Last year, exports probably averaged around 4 million barrels per day, despite a significant drop in demand from China. The rest of the world is desperate for American energy, though. So how about the technicals? All right, now, take a look at the seasonal chart of the April West Texas crude futures, which shows how they tend to behave over the course of the year. Garner points out that the seasonal pattern is overwhelmingly bullish for oil. Notice. Pretty easy, right? Through the first or second week of March. As long as West Texas crude holds above its floor of support in the high 60s, and that's what it's been doing, okay, uh, she thinks there's a seasonal tailwind that could push up to $90, hey, maybe even $100 oil in the near future. That'd be pretty big. That'd be very inflationary. Now, check out the monthly chart of the February West Texas crude futures with the CFTC's commitment of traders data down at the bottom. So here's the chart, and there's the commitment of traders report. Now, we love this commitment of traders report, of the COT report. We love the numbers because they tell you how individual investors, money managers, and commercial hedgers are behaving. It's always worth knowing how the big money's positioned. The green line here represents what they call large speculators, meaning money managers. Uh, and this is what Garner's watching right now. So I think this is really important. See, right now, these institutional investors hold a fairly small, see if it was, if it was up, this is low, this is low, this is low. A fairly small net long position in West Texas crude futures. That means they still have plenty of firepower to buy more. Historically, when the net bullish positions held by large speculators are this light, well, guess what? Carter says it usually means that oil's found a reason to rally. She suspects this time will be no different. However, there was one incredibly dramatic exception to this rule in March of 2020. The COVID shutdowns caused oil prices to collapse, and the net long position was similar to what it was now. Then again, I doubt we'll get hit with another earth-shaking pandemic in the next month. Now, look at this. Look at this long-term monthly chart of West Texas crude. Garner thinks this is pretty darn constructive, uh, so long as the floor of support around $68 holds. She's betting that bullish seasonality and strong energy exports, once again, could lead to a retest of the $100 major ceiling resistance. Of course, if oil breaks down below 68, she likes to say, uh, and that's, by the way, four bucks from here, then Garner says all bets are off. But she's pretty confident in that floor of support, pointing out that this trend line has only been broken again once since 2016 when COVID practically shut down the entire global economy. Other than that, this floor of support has been very resilient. See, don't, that's the time that you have to, that's the out lawyer. Here it held, here it held, here it held, and she thinks it could do so again. Garner brought out this monthly uh, chart multiple times because she thinks it's essential to understand the landscape. Without a major unforeseen event, she believes the decade-long uptrend line will likely hold, as it always has, aside from the beginning of the pandemic. I think she makes a great point. While oil tends to be pretty volatile, it's mostly stuck in this channel. All right, how about the shorter-term weekly chart dating back to 2015? Remember how oil tends to do well from mid-December through mid-March? You can see that we've caught many oil bottoms during the first quarter. I know it looks, don't let it overwhelm you. What you need to know is where the rally, rally, rally occurs, okay, in the first quarter of recent years. Garner also noticed something really interesting with the major oscillators. You know, we like that. Like the Williams percentage R. Yes, Larry Williams, or that's the one that's invented by him, or the slow stochastics, important momentum indicators that tell you when something's gotten overbought which means sell, or oversold, which usually means buy. When these oscillators suggest extreme oversold conditions and the price of oil is near its trendline support, Garner says the oil market has a strong tendency to rally, especially if this happens in the first quarter. That's exactly the situation we find ourselves in right now. Since late 2015, we've seen five examples of this oversold oscillator readings, prices near the long-term floor of support, and during the seasonality, strong fourth quarter. And in four cases, they produce big rallies. The one outlier was March of 2020, which, again, didn't work because of COVID. 
But in early 2016, early 2019, early 2021, and early 2023, we saw the same darn setup and it produced some nice values. Does that not tell you that another one could be headed our way with the oversold positions right here? Garner says we currently see seeing this pattern for the sixth time since last 2015, and she's betting the bulls will be five for six. The weekly trend line floor of support comes in around 66.68. Seasonality is bullish for the next two to three months. And both the Williams percentage R and the slow stochastics remain nicely oversold. Barring any major shock to the system, she believes the odds favor higher oil prices. Again, bad for the bulls because it's inflationary. That said, Garner wouldn't be shocked if we get another probe lower to test the floor of support in the high 60s before we get a sustainable rally. In the end, as long as that floor holds in the high 60s, Garner says oil's in buy the dips mode, not sell the rallies mode. West Texas crude just has too much going for it in the next few months. Here's the bottom line. The charts, as interpreted by Carly Garner, suggest that oil could have a pretty impressive run through mid-March, which is great news if you own oil, but terrible news if you want the Fed to start cutting interest rates. We want inflation to stay dead, so the resurrection of energy inflation would be less than ideal. Mad Money is back after the break. Coming up, consumer companies assemble. A host of major stocks attended the recent ICR conference. From apparel to footwear, Kramer's take on the Confab. Next. Support for this program is provided by Chevron. Demand for energy is projected to continue rising in the future. To help keep up, Chevron is increasing their U.S. oil and gas production. And they're innovating to help do it responsibly across their operations, including their Gulf of Mexico facilities, which are some of the world's lowest carbon intensity operations, helping supply energy that's affordable, reliable, and ever cleaner. That's energy in progress. Learn more at chevron.com slash meeting demand. This week, we've been focused on the J.P. Morgan Healthcare Conference. Remember, we were out in San Francisco at the beginning of the week, but there were two other energy confabs that were also very important. Everybody knows about CES. That's the old consumer electronics show. But then there's the lower-profile ICR conference in Orlando, which brings together companies from all sorts of consumer-facing industries, uh, retailers, e-commerce operations, restaurants, food, and beverage makers. You get the picture. There was a lot to learn from the ICR conference this year, so tonight I want to walk you through my five top takeaways. First, even before the conference started, we started getting these series of positive pre-announcements from apparel chains, and that continued through the event. Abercrombie & Fitch, American Eagle, Urban Outfitters, they all raised numbers. These largely teen retailers have a lot going for them right now. Abercrombie talked about high teens revenue growth during the holiday quarter. This stock, by the way, was the best performer in the S&P 1500 last year. It's up 285%. And now it's already up double digits year to date in 2024. It's had an astonishing run. Honestly, I'm not even sure what to do with it up here. Feels like we missed it. But then again, the company keeps saying good after good after good, and the stock goes higher. American Eagle also raises fourth quarter sales forecast from the high single digits to the low double digits. They had a great holiday season. Urban Outfitters had record sales numbers. Even though their core brand is struggling, they also own free people in anthropology. They're growing rapidly. Might be worth a closer look sometime. Beyond the team retailers, Kramer fave Lululemon also gave us a positive pre-announcement, although its stock hasn't really benefited from the news. It's now down more than 5% year-to-date. Now, I think that's because investors weren't surprised. They've gotten so wise to Lulu's habit of UPOD, also known as under-promise and over-deliver. Plus, the stock had already run nearly 30 percent in November and December. While we're starting to hear about rising competition in the athleisure space, I still think this one for now is a straight up buy. We also got positive pre announcements from a couple of footwear companies, including Crocs, 
with its shares up more than 20% week to date. Told you this conference is important. Again, much better than expected holiday numbers. Crocs have fallen out of favor for much of the past year, in part because they recently acquired this Hey Dude thing, and that was underperforming. So this is both a big relief and, yes, a big source of short covering. Many were betting against Crocs. Then there was this better-than-feared pre-announcement from another out-of-favor company, Boot Barn. We've had them. One had really ugly same-store sales, down 9.7%. But... They said the earnings would come in at the high end of the previous range. And to round out our footwear commentary on holding is having a good week, up more than 7%. Now, there was nothing formal from these guys, but they got a push from UBS's Jay Soule, very important guy, who called on holding his top pick for 2024 after speaking to management on the sidelines of the ICR conference. I'd love to have him back on the show. I think this one's incredibly interesting and a potential moonshot for those who think it's too late to buy Nike. Beyond the pre-announcements and bullish analyst coverage, we got a couple, some positive readouts from a company that, uh, that presented at both ICR Conference and CES. Yeah, I'm talking about that junior retailer, Walmart. Now, the stock's been steadily working its way higher for most of last year, but then it gapped down after the company reported disappointing numbers in November, causing it to miss the big end of your rally, unlike most of the retailers. In other words, Walmart was desperately in need of what the kids call a vibe shift. And they may have gotten it from their two presentations at ICR. Their chief marketing officer held a fireside chat where he highlighted Walmart's digital efforts. You know, they had 24% online sales growth since they started making a big digital push last spring. Jeffrey's analyst, Corey Tarlow, attended the ICR presentation and a reaction note said that the company did a good job, and I quote, of reframing Walmart as a digital first destination. I like that. Only William Sonoma, I regard as digital first. And boy, you see that stock was big today. Walmart CEO Doug McMillan wasn't at ICR, though. He was in Las Vegas, giving the keynote address at CES, where he went into detail about some of his company's latest tech initiatives. For one, Walmart's planning to expand its small drone delivery program to 1.8 million additional households in the Dallas-Fort Worth metropolitan area. McMillan also got into some of Walmart's AI initiatives, noting that to date, the company's been using AI to help its employees, including its software engineers. But now it's going to extend the technology to you, to the customer, introducing generative AI-powered search capabilities to both the Walmart app and the website. I'm going to read you this example of how this works. Quote, let's say you're throwing a party for next month's Super Bowl. Previously, you might run numerous searches for chip wing, chips, wings, drinks, new 90-inch television. In the new experience, you search once for something intuitive, and the app shows you everything you might need. Our design puts the relevant product categories across the top and serves up curated list of the best items, end quote. Hey, you know what? That sounds pretty darn good to me. I might go to Walmart on Monday. McMillan's CES presentation also included a very cool cameo by Microsoft CEO Satya Nadella with the two chatting about how AI could be used to enhance both the front and back ends of Walmart's business. Overall, I think the last couple of days have highlighted Walmart's capacity for innovation, which is not something these guys usually get enough credit. They ought to. For a long time, it seemed like Walmart was just trading as a simple defensive stock. But this week gave us a reminder that it's much, much more than that. I think it's helped, which is why the stock's up more than 2% this week. By the way, I wouldn't be surprised if we can keep climbing steadily from here. You know what? I don't even think it should have sold off in that last quarter. I, I saw a lot that I liked about it. This one's a good one to put away. So there was a lot to learn from the ICR conference this past week. We won't hear a ton about this group until the sector starts reporting results in mid-February. But hopefully this gives you some color on the space to tie you over until then. I think it does. Bottom line, nearly everything consumer-facing had been distinctly out of favor just a few months ago when practically everyone on Wall Street seemed to think that a recession was inevitable. Since then, though, they've started bouncing back in anticipation of a soft landing. And based on all the positive commentary from this ICR conference in Orlando this week, I bet the momentum can continue. Still one more reason why I think anyone who is predicting six rate cuts for the Fed this week, this year, I mean six, 
starting in March? I think you've lost your mind. You're not going to get six rate cuts when the teen retailers are printing money. And that's just what they're doing. Let's take calls. Let's go to Frank in Florida. Frank. Hey, Jim. Happy New Year. Same to you. What's going on? Okay, so, Jim, this stock, it's been on the news a lot lately. There's rumors about Apple wanting to acquire them, and now a partnership with TikTok. Is it time to buy Peloton? Right. Well, I didn't like that the, the rumor was floated about, about uh, Apple to buy Peloton. They would never describe what they would possibly do. And I've talked to them a lot about this. Uh, I think if you own it, you're going to have to own it for the fundamentals. And right now, the fundamentals are not good. I happen to like management, but that is not enough for me to tell you I think you should buy Peloton. So I'm not going to say it. Let's go to David in Colorado. David. Hey, thank you very much for taking my call. Hey, um, after like, crawling out of November lows, Best Buy seems to be on its way back with a safe dividend. Or do you think it's imploding now that it's lost? about? No, no I think it's very good. I'll tell you why. Because we got some numbers today which showed the PC sales bottom in the fourth quarter. A lot of people buy PCs from, from uh, Best Buy. If you don't, you ought to check it out because they don't steer you toward anything other than what I think is the most one that you want. So I see BBY as a buy, a solid buy. The retailers have bounced back in a big way in anticipation of a soft landing. And based on the commentary we got from the ICR conference this week, I'm betting that momentum continues. Much more mad money ahead, including the second part of my sit-down with the CEO of Beckton Dickinson. He takes it personally. There was one pivotal event that shaped Tom Poland's career, and I had a chance to hear more about his path to becoming CEO of one of the most important healthcare stories in the world. Then there was a lot I learned out west at the JP Morgan Healthcare Conference, and now I'm, you know, I've shared a lot of those takeaways. You know what? I've got some ones about Orlando and a small conference you didn't know about. And Oreo calls rapid fire in tonight's edition of the Lightning Round. So stay with Kramer. Said I showed the first part of my interview with Tom Poland. He's the CEO of Beckton Dickinson, which gave you a great overview of where his medical instruments and supplies company sits in the global healthcare system. He got some terrific color in their new products, too. But in that initial discussion, we didn't get the chance to dive into the rest of the industry, which is unfortunate because Beckton Dickinson can give you a really clear view into the healthcare supply chain, something that was a major point of weakness during the pandemic. Fortunately, we got to take some additional questions with Tom Poland after that first conversation. So take a look at part two of our Becton Dickinson interview. Yeah, Tom, we spent a lot of time speaking to a lot of executives, and I think a lot of them were interested in the healthcare system, obviously, and doing good. But I think your circumstance, just to talk personally about how you got involved, it is important for people to know because it's not the same as most. Yeah. I think a lot of people who work in healthcare got there with a because of a personal story or experience okay. that they had. You know, for myself, I woke up uh, at age 13, was getting ready for school one day, and my mother, who was 35 at the time, collapsed and ended up dying of a brain aneurysm pretty immediately. Um, ended up through that day going to hospital to shock trauma. Ultimately, there was nothing that they could could do. But it was that experience that inspired me to want to get into healthcare and make a difference because I saw the opportunity. Okay, so what was your first move in doing? I think people want to know how you what how you made that sure. your profession. I first went and was working in the laboratory actually at Johns Hopkins Hospital and doing research there. Then ended up joining a small startup company. Um, it was one of the first five folks that we grew up and we sold it to Beckton Dickinson. Oh, okay. Which is how I came to BD. 
um, and then from there uh, continued on. Was uh, met my wife in the middle. Uh, she was an officer in the Navy. We were deployed. Um, left BD for a bit when she was deployed and then came back to BD after that. So. Now, you did go to Hopkins. What did you learn there about the system and how we can change it? Because I think you have, the, for all the people I spoke to, I think you have the best breadth of what we can do to save this healthcare system. Yeah. You know, there's certainly there's a big focus right now on efficiency, right? Hospitals, they feel the pressure of inflation, probably more so than many other industries, right? Inflation's particularly hit from a labor perspective. And if you go in a hospital, right, the costs of nurses, et cetera, are a big, big portion of their expenses. And so solutions that can help drive automation and efficiency, we see as a big need in helping to transform care. Also, at the same time, moving from high cost, high acuity settings like hospitals, being able to move more routine care into settings like in the home. And so we've been investing very heavily in areas like automation for the pharmacy, for the laboratory, informatics that help improve nursing productivity. We've recently got, for example, 510K clearance for a new way to collect your blood from your fingertip, not by a phlebotomist, but maybe by a clerk in a retail store and eventually by yourself in the home. Uh, we've been investing in point of care diagnostics to get rapid things like rapid flu tests. Um, figure out if you have flu or COVID in 15 minutes rather than mm -hmm. needing to go to a hospital. So we really see that, that shift of care moving in, in, uh, in new ways, and it's going to take technology to help make that happen. Now, you are very involved on the national level uh, with, with Gina Raimondo, the Commerce Secretary has been on many times. When you talk to her, uh, what are you most concerned about in terms of the way our country is working with health care? Yeah. Um, Secretary Mondo is doing an amazing job first off, and uh, I'm really fortunate to have the opportunity to serve on her um, advisory board for manufacturing. Um, what she, one of the areas that she's very focused on is helping to make sure that the U.S. is secure from a supply chain perspective when it comes to delivering health care. And I think that's been a top Are focus we? of theirs. We're getting better after, after the, uh, the pandemic. You know, for BD, one of our core strengths is we are a manufacturing company at heart. We make, a tremendous, we make billions of units of medical devices in the U.S. Our strategy has always been to produce locally. We actually import very few products into the U.S. to deliver health Now, does Secretary Mondo understand that it's just more expensive to make things here? You can, although, you know, we make things very efficiently in the U.S. If you go into one of our factories, you'll see very advanced robotics and automation. That's what allows us to do it is with technology. Um, and again, a long, we're a 125-year-old company. We've been doing manufacturing right from the start, and so that's a core competency of ours. All right, let, let's talk about what happens at home. For instance, uh, we mentioned the other day in the interview, you talked about uh, GLP-1s, and people are, are self-injecting. Is that your technology? Did you come up with that, and is that saving lives? Yes, so inside every auto-injector, which is what you press the button on when you pre press deliver GLP-1 to yourself, inside is a pre-filled syringe that's actually connecting with the drug. It also has the needle pre-attached. That whole system is ours. We created that category. And most drugs that are in a pre-filled device, if it's in a pre-filled syringe, most likely it's ours. We see you know, GLP-1s are just the start of self medicating yourself with injectables. There's whole new classes of drugs that offer tremendous promise as well for things like Alzheimer's disease or, or cancer. And they're going to be in different types of self-injection devices. For example, we have a wearable injector. Um, some of the new Alzheimer's drugs may take 15, 20 minutes to inject. So you're not going to hold something, no. but you're going to attach something to your body. And it's going to infuse that as you're going about your day. The same thing can happen um, for certain oncology treatments that will infuse you over hours, potentially. Again, as you go about your day, you can shower, you can well, do whatever. That so that's going to require devices that, that we make and we're bringing to market. Well, I that. think that your experience as a young boy has uh, helped our system 
very much. Great to discuss. Excellent. Okay, that's Tom Poling, the chairman, president, CEO of Beckton Dixon. Thank you. Coming up, pop open those umbrellas and tee up your toughest questions. Kramer takes on all comers in the lightning round. Next. Before we start the lightning round, I want to let you know that we will be on the road tomorrow. We are heading west to Kansas City. That's right, tomorrow we'll be broadcasting from Arrowhead Stadium in the heart of Chiefs country. NBC Sports is the only place you want to be this weekend with not one, not two, but three wildcard games. I love wildcard weekend. Look at this action. Now, this is exciting. Saturday at 8 p.m. Eastern on Peacock, we'll be, yes, we'll be at the NFL's first ever exclusively live stream playoff game when Patrick Mahomes, and, you know, he is just, to me, he defeated our Eagles last year. Well, he's a defending Super Bowl champ. What can I say? The Kansas City Chiefs will host Tyreek Hill and Miami Dolphins for limited time. Get one year Peacock for only $29.99 a year. That's 50% off. Go to PeacockTV.com slash NFL to learn more. Terms apply. Of course, you can't miss the game. I'm not. And now it is time. It is time for the lightning round. Everybody. That's right. Take close right before you say Mr. Fox. But it's out. And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready? Ski, dang, the lightning round. Here's a bunch of Jeff in New Jersey. Jeff. Hey, Jim, how you doing? Look, I I've been good. holding Paramount for like two years. I've been averaging that. What, is this a waste of time? Kind of, yeah. That's like the balance sheet from hell. We love good balance sheets, don't like bad balance sheets. That's got a bad one. Let's go to Dennis in Michigan. Dennis. Hey, Jim. How's it going? It's going well, Dennis. How about you? Yeah, doing well. Thanks. Looking forward to some week uh, football this weekend. Good luck to your Eagles. Hey, man, Peacock only. Let's go. Let's, let's, let's hit it. Let's hit it. What's up? <laughs> um, first off, I'd like to say kudos to your staff at Mad Money and at the Investment Club for all their efforts. Thank you. Thank you. And, uh, yeah, I'd like your thoughts on uh, EXEL. Oh, interesting. Okay. I think that this is a good spec. Now, I know people say, Jim, you usually don't like speculation. Untrue. I like speculation in areas where there could be something exciting, and the biotech world is just unbelievably exciting. We know that from JP Morgan. I like your bet. Let's go to Allen in Florida. Allen. Jimmy Chill. Your collector's club is a master's class for making money, and I thank you for this. Thank you. Thank you. Big meeting coming up. Nuclear renaissance. The nuclear renaissance that I learned about on Madden Money has treated me very well. The biggest nuclear reactors worldwide are getting life extensions, while the SMRs look to be the answer to our net zero goal. All these reactors are going to need lots of uranium, and there isn't enough to go around. This week, Bank of America, for the first time in decades, did a bullish report on uranium. The U.S. government is now serious about domestic uranium. 99 of 100 senators just voted to ban Russian uranium, and Department of Energy this week put out an RFP for domestic nuclear fuel. Right. You gave so. up UEC as a spec play. Yes, and I'm reiterating UEC. Why? Because I want a pure play uranium coming. It's not losing money hand over fist and bleeding from the eyeballs. Let's go to Tony in Florida. Tony! Hey, Jim, I want to thank you again for the club. I've been a member uh, since day one. And thank you, buddy. For it's long fun. It's fun. I try to make it, it fun. I try to teach. I'm trying to do some teaching. Now let's do some work. What do we got? Okay, I think I found a gold company I want to get. Um, I know how gold can be volatile. Yeah. But this company is basically focused on royalty and streaming company. It has the first 
uh, portfolio in <laughs> gold, even in oil and in iron ore. What okay. do you think about Franco Nevada? I think it's a great diversified way to own gold. Now, I personally like Barrick Gold, but I think you're going to do fine with that. And yes, I will reveal I like gold bullion. I do. I really do. I really do. Steve in California. Steve. Hey, Jim. Booyah. Booyah, Steve Marino. What's happening? Club member. How are you? Oh, man. This is putting me in a good mood. I'm doing fine. I'm headed to Kansas City real soon. Me and Tyreek are going to do a foot race. I was very, very fast in high school. What's up? Uh, Hey, uh, Jim, I wanted to know your thoughts on Enbridge and their recent uh, acquisition, EMB. I like the acquisition very much. The street doesn't. The street is wrong. Greg Greg Eagle's doing a good job. I invited him to come on the show. 7.48 is good, and I never ran a 4.1. Let's go. I want to go to Paul in Alabama. Paul. Booyah, Jim. Booyah, Paul. What's up? Hey, uh, I just read a fascinating book with a behind-the-scenes look at Wall Street. Yeah? Called Confessions of a Street Addict. Oh, man, that's 20 years. I hope it holds up. It's 21 years old. I was not. I was I was 30 pounds heavier then. <laughs> it's a great book. They play hardball up there. You bet. Yeah, I, I didn't like I read it now. I don't really like how I was. But that's okay. What's going on? Well, I was checking the financials on uh, my Southwest position, and I noticed the low-cost European airline, Ryanair. And uh, it, it looked really good. Good numbers. Uh, they're a very well-run company. Michael O'Leary, who I would invite on the show any time. I mean, he does. I, 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 some say he curses like a sailor. I would not say that. All I know is that I like him very much. I like the stock. Let's go. We're, we're not done. Let's go to Jack in Ohio. Jack. Cleveland. Jack. <laughs> Hey, thanks for your help, Jimmy. No problem, Flacco. What's up? A bind for the dividend income. P-A-G-P. I'd buy that for the dividend, and then I would dump. Let's go to Zachary in California. Zachary! How you hit doing, me. Jim? Hit First me again. We're like, we're like at the casino here. Hit me. Hit me again. What's up? I want to see what your thoughts are on the Dutro stock. They're looking yeah, to people said up. they had a bad presentation at ICR. I will talk about that conference later on the show. But I have been a little let down by the Dutch pros. They've got to, they got to stop opening stores and catch their darn breath. There, I said it. Scott in Florida. Scott. Booyah, Jim. I'm in the house of pain with United Natural Foods. Well, you should be. It's just nothing but a house of pain. It's not going to change its address anytime soon. Get the moving van. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the conclusion of the Lightning Round. The Lightning Round is sponsored by Charles Schwab. Coming up. Can government and Big Pharma learn to play nice? Kramer turns to tech for a cautionary tale of when DC said, Goodbye, Mr. Chips, when Mad Money returns. Why is it that Democrats and Republicans can only seem to agree on one thing? That drug companies are robbing you blind with high prices? The Biden administration managed to sneak a provision in the Inflation Reduction Act that lets Medicare negotiate prices with drug companies, which frankly is more like extortion than negotiation. But then again, every other developed country does the same thing. Meanwhile, the Republican governor of Florida, Ron DeSantis, is going to import drugs from Canada to save money for his taxpayers. They're cheaper in Canada because Canada has price controls. Both actions are very popular politically, and I can understand why. Who doesn't want lower drug prices? 
But while there are many things wrong with our healthcare system, I think drug companies are not the problem. They charge what seems to be high prices because it costs a fortune to bring a drug to market, and most drugs never even get there. They need to compensate for all their failures. People think that patent protection allows drug companies to rip us off price gouge of 20 years. 20 years is the real amount of time they have exclusivity. Uh-uh. It takes a very long time between a patent is filed when the drugs hit the market. On average, they get about 15 years of meaningful protection. If the government starts curbing their ability to make money, they are simply not going to invest in as many new drug candidates. It's the price we pay for innovation. But after talking with so many drug executives this week, I want to take a totally different tack about why the government coming after their profits is a bad idea. We don't want the drug companies to leave and make their products somewhere else. This is an industry that uniquely sell, still makes tons of product here in the U.S. When I spoke to the CEO of Beckton Dickinson, he proudly told me that they make their pre-filled syringes right here in America. Those became vital products when COVID vaccines were being distributed. In fact, most of the products are made here. Eli Lilly's trying to build factories in North Carolina to meet demand for Monjaro and Zepbound, the revolutionary diabetes and weight loss drugs. Abbott, Abbott Labs made its COVID tests right here. Thank heavens. I wish I could say I trust the Chinese tests I've seen, but given how poorly they handled the pandemic, I prefer to stick with our homegrown technology, please. In fact, the vast majority of companies I talked to at the JP Morgan Healthcare Conference make almost everything in the United States. I know many of you think the drug companies are bluffing when they threaten to cut back on R&D or spending or, yes, make their stuff elsewhere if they have to. It sounds like a lot of idle talk, gas bags. But let's take a different industry, one that was largely U.S.-based but ended up being tied up in Taiwan, the semiconductor industry. Most of the manufacturing fled and fled there because they couldn't afford to stay. It was just much cheaper to make things in Taiwan. Our government didn't really try to even keep them here. I'm not saying that drug companies will up and leave like the chip makers who switched to the Taiwan foundries. I'm saying many people took it for granted that these companies would never leave. But they did. Right now, the drug companies make a very good return. But if the government makes it too hard for them to make money, I am sure that, like the semiconductor industry, they'll find a way to restore profitability, like moving production to somewhere where lower labor costs exist. That'd be a terrible thing for us. Sure enough, like Eli Lilly is going to charge a lot for Manjaro Zepbound. I get that. And you'll be lucky if your insurance company covers them. But let's remember, they're made here. They're made with high standards, and they employ a ton of people in America. Time for our leaders to find another whipping boy. It shouldn't be big pharma. This is the best industry we have left here. Let them get the return, and don't let them leave like the semiconductor manufacturers did. We will all regret it if they do. I like to say there's always a bull market summer, and I promise to try to find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer. See you tomorrow. Last call starts now. All opinions expressed by Jim Cramer on this podcast are solely Cramer's opinions and do not reflect the opinions of CNBC, NBC Universal, or their parent company or affiliates, and may have been previously disseminated by Cramer on television, radio, internet, or another medium. You should not treat any opinion expressed by Jim Cramer as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of his opinion. Cramer's opinions are based upon information he considers reliable, but neither CNBC nor its affiliates and or subsidiaries warrant its completeness or accuracy, and it should not be relied upon as such. To view the full Mad Money Disclaimer, please visit cnbc.com forward slash disclaimer. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil.